We are going into the book of Joel today, the book of Joel. Um, and uh, the, the book of Joel is uh, part of what we call the minor prophets. Um, this is because all of these prophets were under 18 years old, so they were the minor prophets. Um, the people that are laughing actually know that I'm joking. Uh, the rest of you, I don't know what's going on. It's okay, it's okay. Um, but no, we, we have major prophets and minor prophets in Scripture, and, uh, and, and, and they're just kind of uh, separated into those two groups, uh, but it's not an age thing. Um, Joel um, is a, a fantastic book, a fantastic prophetic book. Uh, very short, only three chapters long. In fact, um, when I was uh, beginning my prep for the message, I was uh, in the car, and I just decided I was driving home one day from uh, church here, from here to my house, and I said, I think I can listen to the whole thing in the car ride, and so I just stuck it on audio, and on the ride home, just listened to it, and, and um, I've read through Joel plenty of times, but I wanted to hear it, and, um, and then another day, I listened to it again, but very quick to get through. It takes you about 10 minutes, and that's it. Um, but great book. I uh, want to give a couple foundational elements, and, and I'm attempting to do this um, through, throughout this entire series. Let me tell you something real quick, especially if you're here with us for the first time or you've started coming recently. We, uh, uh, over the years, I, I've done series on different topics, and they'll go for three weeks or go for a month or sometimes two months. Uh, I don't think in my life I've ever done a three-year long series, but uh, that's what we're in right now. And uh, we're past halfway. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, so we're on the downhill portion of this. Uh, but we started two years ago uh, in the book of Genesis, and we're going book by book all the way through Revelation. Not every verse. That would take forever uh, to do every verse. I think we would already be in heaven by the time we get to the end. Um, but we're spending, you know, sometimes one week, sometimes two or three weeks per book and, and talking about things. I'll just be in Joel for today. It's a short book, and, and, and we'll focus on this. Joel um, is considered to be a prophet that was alive uh, around 835 B.C., meaning that he is actually one of the earlier prophetic books. Um, if you've been coming every week, you know that a lot of the prophets were speaking to the kingdom of Israel, Israel and Judah, around the time of the exile, when, when they left Israel, were taken out, forcibly out of Israel, and taken to Babylon. Um, but Joel was not uh, considered to be a prophet that was prophesying during that time. He was prophesying much earlier on. In fact, um, you'll notice something that a lot of the prophetic books have in common, that right at the beginning, it'll say something like this. And this prophet was a prophet during the reigns of this king, that king, and the other king, right? So, so they'll tell you when they were doing it. Well, get this. Joel chapter 1, verse 1 says, The Lord gave this message to Joel, son of Pethuel, and that's it. It goes right into the message. It does not tell us what kings he was a prophet for. And so it's led most scholars to believe that he was actually a prophet during the time of a queen and not any kings. And in fact, there was a queen mother slash grandmother who killed off her family and overtook the throne uh, was the wrong thing to do. She was not the person that was supposed to be in power. 
And then eventually her grandson, Joash, was the one who came and became king. And a lot of scholars believe that Joel was the prophet during that time. He would have been more or less a contemporary of the prophet Elisha. And, uh, and so he was early on. Uh, Joel's name means this, Jehovah is God. Everybody say that with me. Jehovah is God. It's a declaration that the God of the Israelites was the true God, and there is no other God. And we believe that our God is the true God. Are you with me on that? Great name. And if you are named Joel in the room, you got a fantastic name. And though we have people in our church with that name. Um, we're going to jump into this, and uh, but before I jump fully in, one other thing I want to mention. Uh, in these three chapters, a real quick overview. Chapter 1 is mainly focused on destruction. Everybody say destruction. If it's your first Sunday, you came on the perfect Sunday. Welcome. And uh, here's the thing about all these prophets, just so you know. All, most all of these prophets are dealing with Israel's uh, disobedience and the consequences of that. In other words, because we're going through all of these prophets the next few weeks, like Joel and we'll be in Jonah and Obadiah and other ones, because we're going through all these prophets, just for the record, we're going to be talking about destruction like every Sunday. So welcome. It's a great summer. Kind of like the heat you feel outside this week. Man, can it get cold again, please? Um, I would really like that. But first chapter is destruction. Second chapter uh, continues on the destruction theme and then goes into what we'll just call for today repentance. Everybody say that word, repentance. So it goes from destruction to repentance. Repentance basically being a change of mind, a change of heart. And because of that, biblically, especially in the Old Testament, a change of direction in your life. And then after repentance, the end of chapter 2 talks about God's blessing. Somebody say blessing. So it goes from destruction to repentance to blessing. Chapter 3 is some more destruction, but not for Israel, for God's enemies, some other nations, and then it ends with more blessing for God's people. So that's the book. Let's jump into this and, and kind of talk through this. Joel chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, the Lord gave this message to Joel, Jehovah is God, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you leaders of the people, listen all who live in the land, in all your history, has anything like this happened before? Tell your children about it in the years to come, and let your children tell their children. Pass the story down from generation to generation. And what's the story? It's the story of destruction. After the cutting locusts finished eating the crops, the swarming locusts took what was left, after them came the hopping locust, and then the stripping locust too. Sound good to anybody? And then he goes on to talk about just how everything just was being destroyed and taken away, and how they were in tears and weeping and crying and things were not good, how their food disappeared, how their celebrations stopped, how they had no more grain and no more wine, and all of just these horrible things that are going on. And here's the reality, is that 
we all have this tendency, and I'm going to ask this question of, of everybody, actually. Uh, we all have this tendency to detour. We all have this tendency to move out of the way that God has for us. I, I was in the Word this week reading, and it was just impacted, I think it was on Monday or Tuesday, by some of the Psalms. I, I, in one day, I read through like 10 or 11 Psalms. I don't do that every day. They were short, okay, so it was easy. Uh, but, but I read through like 10 or 11 Psalms, and, and something that stood out to me just over and over again, multiple times, was how the psalmist would say, God's way is perfect. God's way is perfect perfect. His ways are perfect. His statutes are perfect, meaning there is not a single thing that is out of order of what God has established. His way is good, yet we still detour. We still get off track. Last night, we were on our way to a birthday party, and I uh, um, normally go a certain way. I decided, I mean, the San Fernando Valley is mostly a grid, right? All the streets, squares. You just, it's hard to get lost. Some of you are like, I still get lost. Okay, well, Lord bless you. But, uh, but, but I, I had this one way that I normally go, and I decided to just go a little bit different way. And Because uh, you figure, you're going down three or four streets, and you're going over three or four streets. And so I could go down two streets and go over. I could go down three streets and go, you know what I'm talking about. So, so I, I started going down this one way, and, and I thought I still, when, when I would make the right turn, had another street to go down. So I make the right turn and go down this other street a few blocks, and then I put myself in the left-hand turn lane to go down one more street. And I'm in the left-hand turn lane, and my wife is like, you're already past the street. You're going the wrong way. Oh, so uh, fortunately, our light hadn't changed yet. I still had a while. I went onto the map real quick to see if the, uh, if, the, if the parking lot for the McDonald's and everything right there was enough to where I could drive far enough, go through the parking lot and out the driveway on the other far side, and it worked out. But I detoured. How many detour in your life? And the reality is, is that there are consequences to detours. There's consequences. Israel faced consequences. How many of you have suffered in your life because you diverted from the path the Lord had for you? That happened to anybody? And, and here's the reality. The reality is this. Some of us here might detour in big ways. You might know the Lord, and maybe you've even returned to a life that you had before knowing Jesus. And you've detoured in a big way, kind of like the prodigal son. Well, I want to tell you right now, even if you've detoured in a big way, you can come back to Jesus. He loves you, right? You believe that? We can give an applause to God right now. Absolutely. But, but, but can I just tell you that no matter how long you walk with Jesus, you're going to keep on detouring. Now, now the key is, hopefully, that my detours now are smaller than my detours a year ago. And my detours next year hopefully will be way smaller than they are today. And then some of you might have big detours, but, but some of you might have small ones. Maybe it's an attitude in the heart that's just off and wrong. And that's a detour away from what the Lord has for you. Am I speaking to anybody right now? And, and the Lord is saying, hey, come back, come on, come back. Come back to what I've called you to. Come back to my way. Come back to my heart. 
And so we suffer these consequences. And so here's what I want to do today through Joel. I want to ask this question. What do you do when you've detoured and after you've suffered for the detour? What do you do at that point? When you've made the mistake, whether it's a small one or a big one, whatever it looks like, and you've suffered the consequence, you've suffered the hurt, you've suffered the pain because of that decision or that attitude or whatever it is, what do you do then? And that's what I want to get at today, and we're going to see it in Joel chapter 2. In Joel chapter 2. And so I want to go uh, right to this, verse 12. What do we do when we've gone through, we've gone through the ringer, we've gone through the difficulty because we took our detour? That is why the Lord says, verse 12, turn to me now. Can somebody repeat those words with me? Turn to me now. Now look at somebody close to you and tell them, turn to the Lord. Right? When you have detoured and you have turned the wrong way, what do you need to do? You need to turn again. Turn to the Lord while there is time. And then he says this, give me your hearts. Give me your hearts. You see, we, we got this massive problem. And our problem is our hearts continuously are divided and, 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 and they're in a battle all the time. And the battle is between what my heart wants and what the Lord wants for me. And it, the heart is in this constant battle between following Jesus and getting what I want to have. And this battle is, man, how many know that sometimes Jeff's heart or your heart wins out over God's heart? And we're in this constant battle, this back and forth that is going on. And, 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 and the reality of the matter is we got to resolve this for ourselves, right? We, we have to resolve it. And, and how do we resolve this? Well, one of the verses that I like in Scripture, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your what? Heart. Now, now, a lot of people only shorten it to the second half and go, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. No, 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 no. You delight yourself in the Lord. And as you delight in him, guess what happens to your heart? Your heart becomes like his heart. And your desires become like his desires. And then he obviously will give you his desires for you, which have become your desires. Am I speaking to anybody right now? But, but, but let me be clear. God is a good God. Anybody believe that? I, I, I'm not trying to say that you got to get everything somehow mentally and perfectly aligned in order to know what God's desires are and yours are. No, let me give you an example of this, okay? Obviously, we, we can be pretty clear on things that are sin and those that are not. But, but let me give you a practical example. Well, God took us, our, our family, through a journey of living in different houses. We bought one. I, I've told the story, but we bought one, and it was great. In 2011, we were living in Panorama City here in the Valley, and and, and then Daniel came into our family, and five kids in a three-bedroom house was not 
ideal. And so uh, we ended up selling that house and buying a bigger one in Santa Clarita. Prices were good out there. And so we bought a bigger one and it was fantastic. And we had lots of room. And then during COVID, the Lord told us to sell the house. And I've given that story. And so we sold that house. And, and we were with my parents-in-law for a couple of years. And in that season, about two years ago, I, I, I just kind of had this thought, okay? I, I had this thought. Call it a prayer, call it a thought, call it whatever you want. But it just kind of came into my mind like a desire I had. Anybody had something similar before? And, and here's what it was. I thought, I want my house, that next house the Lord is going to give us. And I just believed that the Lord was going to get us another house. So... Um, I, I want my next house to be in the north part of the valley. Uh, I am not anti-anybody who's in the south part of the valley. Um, but church and school and all of that is up here. And so I wanted to live in the north part. I, I wanted to have a pool at my house. That was important to me. I want a pool. I love pools. Anybody love pools in the room? I love pools. And even if you don't swim in it, they're nice to look at. Anybody with me? They just, they look nice. Okay, so I want a pool. And, uh, and I'm a swimmer, so I love going in. But, but they also look nice. And, and then I said, and I, I want to have a big property. That, that would be really cool if I had, like, good, like, size land. I'm not looking for, like, five acres. You can't get that in the valley. But, but you know, something big. And I, I also want a house that's unique, that doesn't look like every other house out there. And those were my thoughts. Just thoughts. And you know what? The Lord accomplished all four of them. 100% of them. They were just a thought. They were just a desire. Can I just tell you right now that God is a good God and those little simple regular desires he have, he, he, you have, he's so good that he can give those to you as well? The only thing I didn't ask for was a house in perfect condition. And so we spent the better part of a year uh, having to fix it up step by step. Forgot that one. But what am I getting at? Track with me. I, while I wanted it, I wasn't fighting for it. Let me explain this clearly. Like, I, I wasn't desperate. It was a thought. I thought, oh, this would be nice. But I wasn't, I wasn't upset about it. I wasn't desperate for it. I wasn't anxious about it. I wasn't hopeless. I wasn't like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Life is not going to be okay unless I get a house that has a pool. Otherwise, my life is ruined. No. I mean, it was just a thought. But so often when I talk about our hearts battling, I'm talking about that restlessness, that, that desire, that, that even that lust that exists. And it's not just about men and women, the idea of lust. It's, you can lust after anything in your life. And, and these things, these battles that exist in our hearts between that which I want my way, I want my thing, and God going, but my way is perfect. And what is God's answer to this? Give me your heart. Give me your heart. Because guess what, Jeff? You don't do a very good job taking care of your heart. But let me tell you who does. Jesus does. He is good at caring for our hearts. He says this, come with fasting, weeping, and mourning, yes, because the people of Israel at this point are being called to recognize 
that they've gone on this detour, that they've allowed their hearts to lead them down a wrong path, and they have not followed God. And so he's saying, listen, as you give me your heart, there needs to be some fasting, weeping, and mourning in that for the recognition of the way that you have been living and the way that you've been walking that has not been right. And then I want everybody to read verse 13 with me. Let's read this together. What does it say? Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Can anybody say amen to that? Now, this is really interesting. The title of my message today is this, The Art of Tearing a Heart. The Art of Tearing a Heart. I got a question for you. How many of you have ever suffered a broken heart in your life? Well, a few people. God bless you. Life is good. How many got dumped by a girlfriend or a boyfriend in high school or middle school or fifth grade or... I'm not speaking from experience, okay? Um, How many of you are like, I didn't have a broken heart. I was the one who broke their hearts. Uh, That was me. That was me. (laughs) Today, I'm not talking about somebody else breaking your heart. I'm talking about you breaking your own. Maybe you've never heard that concept that you would tear open your own heart, that you would break your own heart. Let's go back to verse 13 and let's see this. It's it's really interesting because this word right here, don't tear your clothing, but tear your hearts, the word tear. Everybody say the word tear. Uh, This word is used about 60 times in the Old Testament. Um, It is found in uh, different places. And um, it, it means a lot of different things. I want to know. I mean, it means tear. I, I should rephrase. It's, been, it's used in different ways, always tearing, but applied in different ways. I'll give a few examples. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul, King Saul, literally tears, it's the same word, the robe of Samuel. And Samuel receives a prophetic word from the Lord when Saul tears his rope. And Samuel, inspired by God, tells Saul, today the Lord has torn, everybody say torn, torn the kingdom from you. And so sometimes it's used in that way where God tears a kingdom from a king. And it happens more than once. It's not just Saul. It's actually spoken of among multiple kings in the Old Testament. Another way that the word tear is used is we, we actually get this in 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 3. A prophet is over close to the altar. That's where the temple is. And, and the prophet says that the altar is going to be torn. It's literally going to be broken in two, but he uses the exact same word that it is torn. And, uh, and then later on though, we, we get into most all of the uses or actually throughout all of it. And, and the idea is this, what you read right at the beginning here, tear your clothing. Everybody say those words with me, tear your clothing. Now you need to understand The majority of the 60 uses of this word is somebody tearing their clothing, okay? 
Now, why would Jewish people tear their clothing? Many people know, but if you don't, they would tear their clothing in mourning. And why would they be mourning? Usually one of two reasons. One, because they realized that they had been disobedient to God, and so they went into mourning because of that. Or two, they realized that they were in a really horrible situation. How many remember the book of Esther? Esther, anybody? And in the book of Esther, her cousin slash uncle slash dad, Mordecai, um, actually cousin, but kind of functioned like an uncle and a father figure to her. Um, Mordecai finds out that there's a plan to kill the Jewish people. So what does Mordecai do? He tears his clothing as they called it sackcloth and ashes they would put ashes on their forehead and wear sackcloth they would rip their clothes and wear sackcloth and and they would do it so sometimes because of disobedience and sometimes because of really difficult horrible situations and and that's what they would do is everybody with me until now so watch this so i went through this list of this word and I got to the end of the list. And this is, this is powerful. I got to the end of the list. And guess what the last verse is in the Old Testament to use this word tear. And if you guess Joel chapter 2 verse 13, you guess correctly. This is the last time it is used in the Old Testament. But I want you to pay attention to what it says. Because while this word is used over and over and over and over and over and over again for tearing your clothing because you are in mourning, in this very last usage of the word in the book of Joel, God says this, don't tear your clothing, but tear your hearts instead. God is actually, in, in a, quite a real way, kind of linguistically making a transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament idea. And, and you see it, the idea of the heart, over, over the Old Testament. But it's powerfully in the New Testament where Jesus says, hey, you have heard it said that, that you shouldn't you know, kill your brother. But I tell you that if you even hate him, right? If you have hate in your heart or you've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery, but if you even lust in your heart, right? So Jesus takes it all the way to the what? To the level of the heart. The transformation needs to occur where? In the heart. And, and we see pictures of this in the Old Testament, but it's interesting to me that the last usage of this word in the Old Testament is to say, stop tearing your clothes and start tearing your heart. Because you can tear your clothes yet still have a heart that has not been torn yet. You can do the outward action, but there's still something missing in the core of who we are. And when we go on a detour, the Lord is saying, yes, come back to me. But as you come back to me, tear your heart. Break your heart. Because when you break your heart, you are releasing control of that heart of yours. When you break your heart, see, here's the thing. You can't heal the heart that you break. 
You can't do it. It's actually really interesting to me, the book of Ecclesiastes, we know, and, and many, many people know this and, and have heard it, uh, the, the portion where Solomon says there's a time for everything, right? There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. There's a time for war and there's a time for, anybody know? Peace, right? There's a time to laugh and there's a time to cry, right? There's time for everything. And in Ecclesiastes, it says the following. There is a time, watch this, a time to what? Yeah, stop right there. A time to tear. There's a time to tear. And that's the same word. There are times in your life where because of this battle of our hearts that is going on, the Lord says, the only way to win this battle is that you would tear your heart is that you would release the control of it, that you would break it. But we have a good God. Once again, does anybody believe we have a good God? Because the God that we believe in, watch this, there is a time to tear and there is a time to mend. And can I just tell you that when you would tear your heart, there is a good Lord who will mend it and give you a heart just like his heart. This is the Lord that we believe in. And the reason why you tear it is because you're releasing it from being made in your image and you're handing it to the Lord and you're saying, Lord, would you take it and do what only you can do with my heart? And when you would do that, the Lord will transform you. He will change you. And get this, he will bless you. He will. How many want to be blessed? Verse 14 says this. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before, as they would do at the temple before. I'm going to jump to verse 18. And I want you to see the blessing that comes to a people that are willing to tear their hearts, to a people that are willing to even mourn for our own brokenness and fast and pray. It says this, and the Lord will pity his people and jealously guard the honor of his land. The Lord will reply, look, I am sending you grain and new wine. Somebody say with me, new wine. And then after that, in olive oil, somebody say olive oil. And he says this, enough to satisfy your needs. Can I just tell you that when you break your heart before the Lord, he has more than enough to satisfy every need in your life. The Lord will reply, verse 19, look, I'm sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. I will drive away these armies from the north. I will send them into the parched wastelands. Those in the front will be driven into the Dead Sea, and those at the rear into the Mediterranean. The stench of their rotting bodies will rise over the land. Can I just tell you that when you break your heart before the Lord, your enemies will no longer have power over you. You need to understand this. You really do. Because when your heart is in the internal battle that's going on, the enemy takes advantage of that. 
When you go on your detour away from the path of the Lord, you're exposed. And the enemy takes advantage of that. And he messes with you. And can I just tell you, though, that when your heart gets right before the Lord, the enemy doesn't have the same inroads that he had before. He can't do the type of stuff he did before. Because once your heart is right before the Lord, guess what? When, when you are, there's actually a cycle to sin. And it's sin and shame and sin and guilt. So you mess up and then you feel what? You feel guilty. Now that's normal, but that guilty turns into shame and then sometimes into condemnation. And Romans tells us just for the record, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is anybody in Christ Jesus in the room? There is no condemnation for you right? But, but we, we end up in this cycle and we sin and then we feel guilt and shame and condemnation. And in that exposed state, the enemy takes advantage, tempts us again. And then guess what happens? We fall right back into the same thing. And it's like this never ending cycle. And some of you live in that cycle in your life. How do you break it? I'll tell you, break your heart. And let the Lord heal it. And then the enemy won't be able to take advantage of that part that's in this constant battle. He won't be able to do it. God will send that enemy running from you because he has no doorway to enter in. He has no way to access because your heart is covered by the Lord. Then it says, so don't be afraid. No, don't be afraid, O land. Be glad now and rejoice for the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, you animals of the field. For the wilderness pastures will soon be green. The trees will again be filled with fruit. Fig trees and grapevines will be loaded down once more. Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord our God. For the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. Once more the autumn rains will come as well as the rains of spring. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain. And the presses will overflow with what? New wine and... Olive oil. This is physical. Yes, it is physical blessing, but you need to understand it's a prophetic word. And prophetic words also give spiritual understanding. What is this? Olive oil is the anointing of the Lord. And new wine, amen, is the goodness of God that he brings. I mean, Jesus was the one who said it. You don't put new wine. What was the new wine? It's Jesus. You don't put new wine. In old jars. And the Lord says, I will give you back what you lost. He's a restoring God. What you lost to the swarming locust, the hopping locust, the stripping locust, and the cunning locust. It was I who sent this great destroying, destroying army against you. Once again, you will have all the tacos, carne asada, ribeye steak, and cream spinach, I really like cream spinach, that you want. And you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again, watch this, never again, never again, somebody say never again. Never again will my people be disgraced. Because when your heart, amen, come on somebody, when your heart has been broken and healed by the Lord, nobody can shame you. Nobody can make you live in disgrace. And you will know that I am among my people, Israel, and among my people, the church. 
that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. Never again, in case you didn't get it the first time, he says, never again will my people be disgraced. Coming to the end, in the New Testament, uh, right here we're at verse 27. In the New Testament, the people of God, the first church, were in Jerusalem in an upper room sitting down, praying together. I've preached on it plenty of times before. And they were praying together. And as they were praying, I, I, I just imagine, I imagine that some of them were breaking their hearts before the Lord. Because when you spend a lot of time in prayer, at some point that's going to happen. It doesn't say that's what they did. They were praying. But I imagine that among other types of prayers were going on. And in that upper room while they were praying, the Holy Spirit shows up and is poured out on them with tongues of flame and they start speaking in other tongues, speaking in other languages and the people around in the city were hearing them speak and confused by it. So Peter stands up and when he stands up, he says, this, what's happening right now is what was prophesied in the book of Joel. And what was prophesied? Well, verses 28 and 29, where it says this, then after doing all those things, after doing all what things? Watch this. After all of the blessings that the Lord has brought, because you have rent your heart, you have torn your heart, you have come before him, and you've allowed him to do what he wants to do. After all of the restoration, after all of the freedom, after he restores all that was lost, he says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. He's saying, listen, after all that, you're still not done yet. I got even more for you. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike, just in the same way that the word tear was used for the last time in this book you need to understand that God's blessing in this book does not end with the physical blessing it ends with the spiritual blessing and that's what Peter is declaring in the New Testament he's saying listen there were all the other blessings but what's happening right now is the fulfillment of the greater blessing that you've been waiting for which isn't the food you eat and it isn't the house you live in no, no, no. It's that God's spirit himself would be poured out on his people. And it wouldn't be what you have in front of you. It's he who is inside of you. And poured out on who? <laughs> Both genders, men and women. Every layer of society, not just the rich people, but on the servants as well. Every age, every generation, the young and the old. Everybody who calls on the name of Jesus gets the Spirit of God. And can I just tell you that while he was poured out 2,000 years ago, he's not poured out again in that type of way. Oh, a lot of times we'll sing that language, God, would you be poured out or Heaven's poor, this poor, that poor, because we do believe that God can manifest himself and show up powerfully in new ways. 
But it's not like God disappeared after Acts chapter 2 and then like we're asking him to come back. No, he's been at work for 2,000 years in that type of way. He hasn't stopped. But here's what I am saying. But there is an outpouring of God on your life that can happen, but it begins with tearing your heart. That's where it begins. But it ends with the fullness of the Spirit of God upon you. How many want to live your life in the prophetic, live your life seeing visions and dreaming dreams and experiencing all that God has for you? If that's the type of life you want for you, for your family, for the church, then it begins with tearing your heart before the Lord. That's where it begins. So Jesus today, Jesus today, we want to come before you with this heart, this heart of ours, and to say, Lord, we, we tear it today. We break it today. So it would no longer be our will, but it would be yours. So it would no longer be our desires, but it, they would be yours. So it would no longer be our way, it would be yours which is perfect and good and true and holy. This is what we desire. This is what we desire. If you today need to make a decision of tearing your heart before the Lord, I want to just pray for you and believe that you'll go into that and the Lord will bless you through that. If you want to make that type of decision for your life. Would you just raise up a hand real quick? Just raise up a hand real quick. I see those hands. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. May the Lord bless you as you make this decision to tear your heart before the Lord. And as you tear your heart before the Lord, may you be healed and made whole. May you be set free. May you be restored. And may you enter into the fullness of all that Jesus has for you. Oh, enter into it. Oh, live in it. Oh, be transformed by the grace of the Lord Jesus. May you experience his goodness. And may you walk in the peace and the joy and the freedom that Jesus gives as your heart becomes like his heart. Because it, you are no longer carrying it. You are giving it to the Lord. And as you've given it to the Lord, May you trust Him, trust Him with it, and be transformed by Him. In Jesus' name.